So, Jesus, we do turn our eyes to you. And we turn our focus to you and our energy to you. And Holy Spirit, we pray, would you draw near? Would you anoint the preaching of your word? And would you anoint our ears to hear? Lord, would you help us to hear the word that you have for each one of us this morning? And would you help us to hear your gentle invitation to bring all of our cares and all of our sorrows unto you? Amen. Hello, church family. Um, if you're going through the at-home liturgy, you heard in the video at the beginning from Pastor Dave that we're going to be looking at lament as an expression of faith through various psalms of lament. So if you're tuning just into the sermon, make sure that you check out that full at-home liturgy that includes the video, which can be found on our Facebook page or on our blog at goldavenuechurch.org backslash blog. So as I said, we're going to be looking at lament, which is the act of expressing the hard and the dark things in our lives to the Lord. And before we start, I just want to name that some of us may not feel like this message is for us. It may feel like a little bit of a downer and we may not feel like we have things to lament. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you to stick around and stay with us. Um, because there may come a day when you do have harder, dark things that you need to express to the Lord. And there may be a person near or close to you who has things that they need to lament. And maybe as we go along, you might find out that you do have things to lament that you weren't aware of that the Lord might gently bring to mind as we go along. And so wherever you're at, let's let's approach the word of the Lord together because it is rich and it is good. And so today we're going to start with Psalm 13. So I'm just going to read that for us. This is a Psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Thanks be to God. So in preparation for this sermon... I did what any intelligent, theologically profound preacher would do to prepare for a wonderful sermon. This is what I did. I opened up Google. And I opened up Google and I typed out the phrase that we see repeated four times in our psalm for this message. I typed the words, how long? And then I waited for Google to fill in the rest of the question based on what other people are typing after those words, how long? And so here's what people are most frequently asking Google about. How long is the Great Wall of China? That's number one. (laughs) But then it goes on. How long will this quarantine last? How long until this year ends? How long will social distancing last? 
How long does the coronavirus last? And I think that with the exception of the Great Wall of China question, which if you're asking, that's fine. But but I think all of us are asking some variation of this question of how long is God going to continue to allow this virus to ravage the world? How long are things going to be so uncertain? How long are we going to have to do school from our dining rooms and church from our couches? How long will it be before we can see our grandkids? How long till we can hug our friends and see our coworkers? How long will it be before the world makes sense again, before it feels safe again? How long will it take for things to be the way they should be and the way that we want them to be? How long? It seems to be the cry of so many of our hearts these days, and it's the clear cry of David as he wrote this psalm to the Lord. Now, interestingly, scholars have been unable to nail down when exactly it was during David's lifetime that he wrote this psalm. Now, what makes it so difficult to pin to one moment of time is the reality that David lived a difficult life. And that this psalm could have been the expression of his heart on more than one occasion. David lived a life in which he spent a lot of time waiting. A lot of time wrestling with hard and dark things. And a lot of time in sorrow. I often like to think about David as that brave little boy who killed Goliath with a sling and a stone. Or the mighty shepherd who protected his sheep from lions and bears. But sometimes I forget that when the prophet Samuel came to David's house to anoint a king, David was the forgotten son of Jesse. He was the irrelevant, ignored baby brother that was left out in the fields while his big brothers were lined up before the prophet because no one fathomed that little David could possibly be the king that Samuel had come looking for. We think of David as this mighty conquering king of Israel and yet, David was anointed to be king when he was somewhere between the ages of 8 and 15. But David did not sit on the throne of Israel until he was 30 years old. That's 15 to 20 years of wondering if God meant what he said when he had promised David the throne through Samuel. 15 to 20 years of waiting for God to fulfill his promises while going violent rounds with this tyrant King Saul who sat on the throne. We think of David as the profound man of worship who poured his heart out to the Lord through these beautiful psalms that have been revered and read for generations. We think of that man who danced unashamed and naked before God, a man after God's own heart. And yet David was also a man of deep sin and deep shame. He committed murder and adultery. He distanced himself from God and he was strongly disciplined. David was a man who cried out from a pit of shame, begging God to not leave him because of his sin. He was a little boy who spent a lot of time alone among predators. He was a man who led soldiers into battle and watched them die, all while pleading to God for victory and mercy. He was a man who lost children a man who grieved prodigal sons. He was a man who hid in caves because he was afraid for his own life. And these are just the stories recorded. 
I can't begin to imagine how many times in his life David cried out to the Lord saying, How long, Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Regardless of when it happened or what the context was, I like to imagine David down on his knees while writing the first few verses of this psalm. His shoulders are heaving with the weight of the world and his face is downcast. His fists pound the ground in desperation. How long, Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow deep in my heart? Some translations put it, How long shall I take counsel in my own soul? In other words, God, I've wrestled with these thoughts. I've tried to put them down and reason through them and make sense of them, but it's not working. I'm stuck in this darkness and I'm swimming in lies and I can't get back out. Where are you? Do you even see me? How long, David goes on, how long will my enemy triumph over me? How long will King Saul and his men pursue me? How long will I be tormented with these thoughts of doubt, fear, shame, insecurity? Whether they're physical or spiritual enemies, how long, O Lord, will you allow them the victory over me? David is still on his knees at this point. His head is hung low and it's as if he's looking down at his own soul and at the thoughts and emotions swirling inside of him. He's feeling as if God has completely forgotten about his very existence and all he can focus on is his pain. And then we hit verse three. And it's like David finally lifts his head. And he turns his eyes up to the heavens and he musters all of his strength and he cries out, Look at me, God. Look at me and answer me. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. David has the wherewithal to know that he's not in a good place. That he's not seeing the truth and that he's in danger of losing his faith and losing that truth. He shifts his eyes from what he can see and asks God to help him see what God sees. Show me the truth, he pleads of the Lord. Bring light to my darkness. Help me out of this hole or I'll die in it. Now, if we step back for a minute, this feels really out of character for the David that we all know and love. These don't sound like the words of a mighty warrior or a conquering king or a wise poet. They sound like the words of someone who is weak and desperate. They sound like the words of a man who is questioning God himself, a man who has lost his faith in his way. As a young person growing up in the church, I remember being taught various patterns of prayer. They were like orders and postures by which a person should approach God. It always started with repentance. I was taught that the first thing I needed to do when I went to pray 
was to make sure that I knew about all of my sins and to repent of them first. The second thing that I needed to do was to give thanks. So if I was going to pray to God or approach God in his word, I needed to be sorry for my sins and I needed to be grateful no matter what my circumstances were. I needed to overcome them. To be sad or to be angry with God meant that my faith was lacking. Maybe you were taught something similar. Now, what I was taught is not entirely wrong. See, it's good to come to God with a humble and repentant heart. And it's good to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Scripture tells us to do that. But for me, that got twisted. I started to believe that I could only approach God if I was in a perfectly healthy spot, that my faith was secure and that I was ready to be thankful. I believed that a good Christian was never angry, never full of sorrow or despair or doubt. A good Christian always had the right answers. They said the right things and they would never question God. And so if I ever felt angry or sad or confused, I'd avoid God. Negative emotions lacked faith. And they took way too much energy and work to sort through and process anyway. They weren't pleasing to God and they weren't productive, I thought. And yet somehow, right here in the Bible, we have David, weak and desperate and calling God out on his promises. David, being completely forthright about his own pain and his grief, his spiritual blindness and even the dangerous state of his faith. What David is doing for us in his vulnerability is modeling what it looks like to walk a life of hardship, a life of waiting, a life of wrestling with enemies and dark thoughts, and yet somehow a life of standing on God's promises, his goodness, and his faithfulness. David hasn't lost his faith. He's standing on it. And he's expressing it. Even though David can see absolutely no evidence of God's presence in this moment of despair, he still cries out to God. We don't cry out in empty houses. We don't cry out if we know no one is there. We cry out when we think someone is there. To cry out is to express faith that someone, somewhere, Well, here, David cries out in faith that God will hear him from heaven. He calls God out to fulfill his promises, to draw near again, to remember him, to save him from his sorrow and protect him from his enemies, to make things clear and to make things right and to bring light to the darkness. And in the middle of David's cries, we hit this glorious transition. Verse 5, it feels like it comes out of nowhere. It's as if our broken and desperate, hunched-over David finally stands up. He wipes his tears from his eyes and he shakes the dust off his knees. He raises his arms and he turns his eyes to the heavens and he makes a vow. But, David says, despite it all, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has 
been good to me. Another translation phrases it, I am throwing myself headlong into your arms, Lord, and I'm celebrating your sure victory and deliverance. Somewhere between verse 4 and verse 5, it seems a miracle has taken place. God has remembered David. Her God is a God who promises to respond to the cries of his people in his perfect timing. And David's honesty, David's lament, David's desperate prayers have created a context in which God goes to work. God strengthens David in his moment of despair. He sits with him in the ashes and he stirs up a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. God reminds David of his presence and his goodness. And in response, all David can do is suddenly sing the Lord's praises. For God has not forgotten him. God has met him in his darkest hour and has come to his rescue. David is not weak and desperate anymore. David is strong and full of faith and bursting with worship. For his God has come to his rescue. And when he was weak, God was strong. Church family, a lot of us are asking the how long question these days. We ask it about coronavirus. We ask it about the quarantine. We ask it about the economy and politics. But as I've heard from some of you, many of us are asking the how long question about much deeper, harder, darker things too. We've spent a lot of time over the last month or so deep in our thoughts and the difficulties of our realities and some big emotions are swirling around deep inside of us or around us. How long, O oh Lord, will I feel alone and forgotten? How long, O oh Lord, will I wrestle with depression, with hard thoughts, big fears, sinful desires? How long, O oh Lord, Will I feel like I'm failing at being a spouse or a parent, a friend, an employee? How long, O oh Lord, will it take for me to really understand that you love me? How long until I understand the purpose that you made me for? How long, O oh Lord, till my prodigal child comes home? How long till I find my spouse? meet my children, or feel at peace and safe? How long, oh Lord, how long? Friends, God doesn't expect us to stuff those negative emotions down or to pretend they don't exist. He doesn't ask us to rationalize through them alone. He doesn't expect us to sail on the stormy seas of sorrow alone. Our God is a loving Father who walks out to us on the seas. He's a God who promises to measure and hold our tears and sit with us in them. A God who invites us to step out of the boat to give Him our fears, our frustrations, and our pain, and to walk toward Him. Our eyes fix not on those seas or the storm, but on Him. Because He alone is the one who can calm the seas. He's the one who holds us up even when the waves come crashing. 
As we're invited in 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. So friends, I don't know what storms are swirling around or within you today or what storms may come another day. I don't know what big questions are brewing beneath the surface and I don't know what area of life makes you feel forgotten or alone. But God knows and he longs to meet you in them. In this unique season of shaking, God has been inviting us to God has been inviting us to be still before him. He's invited us to share our deepest pains and our hardest questions. He's inviting us to express our faith in his presence, his promises and his goodness by sharing those hard things and those dark things with him. Because in the sharing, our God is given space to work. To be honest is to open the door for God to come in. To grieve is to give our sorrows over to the one who bears them all. And to lament is to stand on faith that our God is good, that he is present, and that he is over all things and good in all things, even when we can't see it. And so as we come to a close, I'm going to pray for us. But after I pray, there's a song of response and a video for you to listen to. And that song is a new song that you may or may not be familiar with, but it has these beautiful words that I just want to invite you to soak in. The song says, weep with me. Lord, will you weep with me? I don't need answers. All I need is to know that you care for me. Hear my plea. Yet I will praise you. Yet I will sing of your name. Here in the shadows, here I will offer my praise. What's true in the light is still true in the dark. You're good and you're kind and you care for this heart. And I want to encourage each one of us. The beauty of doing worship at home is that you can take it at your own pace. And if you've got emotions, griefs, lament coming to the surface, Take time to cry out to the Lord, to name your questions, and to name the hurt. Soak in God's word. Soak in the song, and don't move on until you're ready. Cry, journal, pray, write a song or a poem, whatever feels most comfortable to you. Be honest and forthright with God, and give him space and time to minister to you. And so with that, let's pray. Father God, we, um, we thank you that we don't have to suffer alone. And we thank you that you lived this world, you lived in this world as a human. God, you know every pain that we could experience and you're willing to sit with us in it. And so God, as we, um, Reflect on this word, and as we maybe sit before you, we pray that you would help our hearts to be still. God, if we know what we've got to name to you, I pray that you would give us the courage and the words to do so. And if we're not sure what things we might have to lament, Lord, if they exist, would you bubble them up so that you can bring comfort? 
God, we pray that you would show us what it means that you are strong when we are weak. And we pray that you would show us that you are our good shepherd and our comforter. In Jesus' name, amen.